So let me set the scene for you. It's May 7th, 1996. A young Bangladeshi political activist is slowly making his way across town. It's early afternoon. The streets are jammed. It's humid. It's smoggy. It's monsoon season in Dhaka is what it is. His name is Mustafa Rahman. He's a bit radical. He's hot-headed, controversial, and that's dangerous because his party, the right-wing Bangladesh Freedom Party, has some very powerful enemies. He's 35 years old, and in just a few minutes, he'll be staring down the barrel of a gun. He's riding in a baby taxi. It's one of those motorized rickshaws you see everywhere in the Bangladeshi capital. Along the way, he sees someone he knows on the street in the Mohammedpur neighborhood. He stops to say hello. But there are others waiting for him, and suddenly, he's surrounded. Now, how these men knew he'd be there isn't clear. But what we do know is Mustafa was posthumously charged in an armed attack on the home of the leader of Bangladesh's most powerful political party. One thing that is clear is that these men do not want Mustafa to live. They open fire. Nine bullets hit their target. Mustafa is left for dead. Remarkably, he survives long enough to name his assassins. My name is Mustafa Rahman. Joseph, Harris, and Anis have shot me. Joseph, Harris, and Anis, otherwise known here as the Ahmed clan. They are members of an infamous and powerful family in Bangladesh. Infamous for the crimes they've been convicted of and powerful for the connections which go right to the top of the political and military establishment. In 1996, Mustafa implicates three of the Ahmed brothers during his testimony to police on his deathbed in the hospital. We've reenacted it here. The others had pistols in their hands and they shot at random. His wife made written statements too. Joseph stuck his pistol in my husband's bag. Harris shot me with a licensed gun. And immediately shot and injured my husband. I fell down. Joseph took the pistol from my waist. I was shot nine times. After that, the criminals kicked my husband and left him on the roadside and fled. Northwest along the Shat Mushjid Road. Mustafa died from his injuries two weeks later, leaving his wife to seek justice on her own. For some time, the criminal Joseph and his cronies have been trying to extract protection money from my husband. My plea is that he will take the rightful legal action against the accused. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. We're calling this series All the Prime Minister's Men. It's a story in three parts about murder, revenge, and corruption. We've exposed a cover-up that goes to the very top of the Bangladesh government, and it shows how a crime family is now at the center of power. In this episode, we track two parallel stories. One is about the favored daughter of a political dynasty and the current prime minister of Bangladesh. The other is about a street gang of brothers who grew up in poverty in Dhaka, each climbing their own ranks to achieve power and influence until one day their lives would converge with the prime minister. They are the Ahmed clan, brothers Anis, Haris, and Joseph, 
and the Prime Minister of Bangladesh, Sheikh Hasina, one of the world's longest-serving leaders and the head of a nation of 160 million people. These two stories provide the backdrop of our investigation, and what we discover is a secret at the heart of the government. Joining me for this episode is Phil Reese, Al Jazeera's Director of Investigative Journalism. He first reported on Bangladesh nearly three decades ago and knows South Asia well. He'll help explain how the country's violent history collides with the recent political abuses that we've uncovered. Phil, welcome. Well, Kevin, hi. Thank you. I mean, one thing, by the way, you need to understand about Bangladesh during its short history as a nation is that the present is never far from what's been a really bloody past. As the new dominions of Pakistan and India take over their own affairs, communal hatred... Well, the petition of British India was based on religion and tragically bathed in blood. Uh, There was turmoil as millions fled their homes, traveling in opposite directions across new borders to find sanctuary with fellow believers. So, in 1947, a newly independent India made up of states with a Hindu majority was in the middle. And then with two parts of Pakistan, and remember, made up of states with Muslim majorities, were on either side of this. Separated by a thousand miles of another nation, the Republic of India. The people of West Pakistan and the people of East Pakistan speak different languages, live in different climates, eat different foods, but they pray to God in the same way. Back then, there was no Bangladesh. It was called East Pakistan. And the capital of this geographically disconnected country was in the West, now modern-day Pakistan. West Pakistan seemed to look down on the people in the East, and even refused to recognize the language spoken there. So in the 1960s, a secessionist movement took root, led by Sheikh Mujibur Rahman. I want that 70 million people of my Bangladesh should be emancipated. Mujib, as some affectionately call him, won elections, but he was then arrested, and a conflict broke out between Pakistan state forces and militias fighting for independence for the eastern part of the state. Between 300,000, some even say as many as 3 million people were killed in the civil war. Finally, Indian troops who backed Mujib invaded East Pakistan and routed the Pakistan army. East Pakistan became the new independent nation of Bangladesh. Because I love my people and my people love me. And I can die for them and they can die for me. Now, initially, Mujib was a hero, but that didn't last. After the war, floods and famine swept through Bangladesh, and the economy just collapsed. People were really fed up, and to quash opposition, Mujib created a one-party state. Many army officers thought Mujib had become too close to Hindu-majority India, and too autocratic. Well, it wasn't long before his rule came to a bloody end. In the early morning, a phone call rang that there was a coup in Bangladesh. Now that's Mujib's daughter, Bangladesh's current Prime Minister, Sheikh Hasina. A few years ago, she was interviewed on Al Jazeera. In August 1975, less than four years after coming to power, Sheikh Mujib and his family were assassinated 
by army officers. It was brutal. Three of his children were killed, and one of them was only 10. Sheikh Hasina and her sister were spared because they were living in Germany at the time. These Bengali people, my father loved them so much. How could they kill him? Hi, it's me, Malika Bilal, host of Al Jazeera's flagship news podcast, The Take. Three times a week, we bring you global stories like no one else, the big ones and the ones you didn't know you were missing. Subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, is it fair to say that the assassination of her father is what drove Sheikh Hasina into politics in the first place? Yes, she was keen to return to Bangladesh and take over her father's party, called the Awami League. But in the years after Majib's death, the political landscape remained very, very unstable in Bangladesh. After 75, about uh, 18 coups that took place in our country. So there was no democracy at all. As the wealthy and the military squabbled over who should rule, ordinary people were desperately poor and really struggling. Yes, and one of those struggling families was the Ahmed clan. Remember the brothers, Haris, Anis, and Joseph, the men at the center of that murder from the beginning of the story? Well, they grew up in Mohammedpur. It's a part of Dhaka. It's actually just east of the parliament building, but for this large and often hungry family, it must have felt a world away. I know them from the beginning. This man knew the family when they were kids. He's asked not to be identified for security reasons, so we've had an actor read his voice. We're calling him Iqbal. They do grow up in a very poor condition. They used to play outside, quarreling each other. No control over them. Because how you will control if you cannot feed them? That was the situation of theirs. They could not run their family. There were five Ahmed brothers and a sister. One of the brothers died young in a gangland killing. Iqbal says Anis, the eldest brother, he was their leader, the tough guy. He's a very greedy person. I would never utilize my younger brothers for my greed. But he did it. Iqbal says under Anis's influence, crime became the family business. And he says Haris and Joseph joined their big brother when they became teenagers. They started extorting from the shop, the local businessman. They're trying to get money. They're doing kidnappings, taking money. They're becoming a gang. And they ruled the streets for a long time. Iqbal says they were getting quite a reputation too. Their whole world was open to them. They started bigger gang, everything, killing and doing all those things. Grabbing land, this is their own business. As the Ahmed clan gained power, the money really started to roll in. And the younger brothers, their personalities started to emerge. Middle brother Haris, he was the ladies' man. Every night, he used to drink. Every night, he used to change girls, earning money, spending money. The youngest, Joseph, well, he had flash. Physically, he was lean and thin. But always he was handsome. He loved to wear costly dress. 
You know, Joseph at the time was really young, and people who knew him said he had this fearsome reputation. People were terrified about them. That's Tasneem Khalil, a Bangladeshi journalist living in exile. He says by the mid-1990s, the Ahmed clan were well-known and well-armed. They had a specific area in Dhaka around Muhammadpur, which they controlled. Joseph and Haris would do contract killings. They were well-known extortionists, gangland bosses. You know, Phil, the brothers didn't know it at the time, but their fate, both as a gang and as a family, was about to be tied to the political fortunes of the future prime minister of Bangladesh. Yeah, indeed. Sheikh Hasina was in exile in India, but keen to follow in her father's footsteps. And she began to rebuild his party, the Awami League. I started to mobilize people. The then government tried to prevent me so that I shouldn't come back. But I decided to accept it and come back. So she finally returns to Bangladesh in 1981. The country would soon be under military dictatorship, and she was often in danger. Sheikh Hasina was placed under house arrest several times, and there was even actually an attempt on her life. Yeah, and the military, whose officers killed her father and family just a few years earlier, controlled the country. But there were real undercurrents to allow some kind of democracy to emerge. Throughout the 1980s, there were demonstrations against the military, and political parties were re-emerging. The specter of political violence that hung over Bangladesh since its formation now created an unlikely bond. Politicians began to look at the street gangs for their own protection. And this is something Tasneem Khalil knows all too well. He fled Bangladesh in 2007 for reporting on government abuses of power. From the 1980s onwards, he says politicians have used street gangs to provide muscle and to deliver votes. Usually every gangster in Bangladesh, wherever and whenever uh, they operate, they have political sponsors. And right now it is definitely, I mean, all the gangsters, all the criminals who are uh, operating in Dhaka are clients of the ruling Awami League party. These violent and politically connected gangs are well known in the local pop culture. Often glamorized in gangster films known as Mastin. Gangs like the Ahmed clan were so powerful in their heyday in the 1990s that according to the University of London, some commentators referred to the Bangladeshi state itself as a mastinocracy. Okay. The Ahmed clan was active politically, always looking for powerful allies. Haris, the middle brother, was the leader of a youth organization of Sheikh Hasina's Awami League. Now there's one person we haven't told you about yet. Remember that there are three brothers involved in the killing. Another died in a shooting. The fifth brother is called Aziz. Phil, this is a brother who took a very different path from his siblings. That's, that's right. In 1981, Aziz joined the Bangladesh army. And he didn't just join the army. He now runs it. He's now General Aziz Ahmed, the chief of the army, and perhaps the most powerful man in the country. All right, so let's just take a moment to digest this. Three brothers become gangland murderers, and one becomes head of the army? How does that happen? Well, we're actually getting answers to that question from the man himself. 
Al Jazeera has obtained a batch of secretly recorded files of the general speaking just recently to a former army officer about his brothers. And, you know, they are very revealing about the relationship between the Ahmed clan and Sheikh Hasina in the 1980s. Aziz actually describes his brother's role in the months immediately after she returned to Bangladesh. When the Awami League was going through its toughest patch, when they were not able to sit in the head office, my brothers, they were the main strength of this party. And listening to these recordings, one senses that a bond of unquestioning loyalty had formed between the politician and the criminals. Yes, yes. Central party leaders used to come to my younger brother's office. And from there, they used to announce the party program. This was because they did not feel safe anywhere else. The first genuine multi-party election since independence took place in 1991. And Sheikh Hasina lost to the woman who would become her arch rival for the next quarter century, Khalida Zia. After losing the election, the country continued to be a very dangerous place for Sheikh Hasina. She needed bodyguards. She needed absolute loyalty, people she could trust with her life. Here's General Aziz again from those phone calls. My brothers could have defected to another party. It's not as if the other parties have not asked. Even after all these things, these brothers have not changed their sides. We just don't have that sort of blood. We just aren't built to betray. Okay, we got photos here of Sheikh Hasina and her bodyguards from back in the day. Take a look at this one. This is from the 1996 campaign. It's Haris Ahmed, the middle brother, working as a bodyguard for Sheikh Hasina. And uh, yeah, this, this one here, um, this other one, he's actually on the podium with her. Yeah. Harris has quite a mustache here. Let's see, the photo is in black and white. Sheikh Hasina is at the microphone, and there's Harris right next to her. So now you have Harris Ahmed and Sheikh Hasina, quite literally, on some occasions at least, side by side as she campaigns to become the next prime minister. It is remarkable. Um, She knew, of course, that she had their loyalty, and that's what was so important to her. And in the phone recordings, General Aziz talks about this at the time when the prime minister is addressing senior members of her party. The Honourable One said, Look, you don't know better than me who his brothers are. Then he said that at that time, the Ahmed clan was more loyal to her than the senior politicians around her now. Where were you all when grenades were thrown in my house? These things were happening to my house. Where were you? The chief's brothers were all around me. They were my mainstay. Now, that grenade attack on a house happened in 1989. And who do you think was said to be involved in the attack? The same man gunned down in the beginning of this episode, Mustafa Rahman. My name is Mustafa Rahman. I was shot nine times. And now we are right back to where our story began the Ahmed clan killing Mustafa Rahman. There's one other thing you need to know about Mustafa Rahman. He was said to be linked to the Bangladesh Freedom Party, 
which was started by the three military leaders who ordered the assassination of Sheikh Hasina's father, Sheikh Mujib. Let's just let that set in for a second. This guy Mustafa, the murdered man, is said to be involved in a grenade attack on her house and connected to a political party that was formed by the men who killed her father. The Freedom Party's politics was nothing but threatening and terrorizing and opposing Sheikh Hasina. That's Tasneem Khalil again. They saw the assassination and the murder of Sheikh Mujibur Rahman and his family, Sheikh Hasina's family, as one of the best things that happened in the history of Bangladesh. Iqbal, the man who watched the Ahmed brothers grow up, has a theory on why they went after Mustafa. Mustafa is also a very dynamic guy. So if Mustafa stands, our power will be squished. They wanted to crush that power. So let's kill him. Absolute power to Hasina. And two months after Mustafa's murder, Sheikh Hasina was elected Prime Minister of Bangladesh. After two decades in exile or being out of power, her retribution was swift. She spent the next two years tracking down, arresting, and trying all the men responsible for her father's death. We do need to be clear about one thing here. There's no evidence that Sheikh Hasina ordered Mustafa's killing. What we do know is that the gunman messed up because Mustafa survived long enough to accuse the Ahmed brothers. Joseph, Harris, and Anis have shot me. And the Ahmed brothers had nowhere to turn. Their reputation, their political connections couldn't save them. While Aziz was doing well and slowly climbing up the army ranks, he couldn't do anything either at that time. The three remaining brothers were arrested and charged with murder. Joseph was caught, convicted, and sentenced to death for the killing of Mustafa Rahman in 1996. But as it turns out, he's the only brother to serve time. Anis and Haris were convicted and given life sentences for their role in the killing, but they escaped and haven't been seen or heard from for more than 20 years. But then we got a tip, and our investigation began, and then we found them. Next time on Al Jazeera Investigates, we follow the evidence and meet a man who says he unwittingly helped one of the fugitive brothers start a new life in Europe. I figured out that this is a dangerous man that I have been dealing with. I was not in uh, great shape when I realized this is a monster. See you in part two of All the Prime Minister's Men. The investigative unit contacted all those involved, including Bangladesh's prime minister and all four Ahmed brothers, inviting them to respond to its findings. No one provided a response. And if you are enjoying this podcast, you should really check out our new website, ajiunit.com. We have been doing investigations like this for years now, and you can catch up on all of our investigations from the fake gun rights group that we created in Australia to infiltrate the NRA in America, to the undercover operation that ended Cyprus's notorious golden passport program once and for all. We've got more podcasts, articles, short videos, and more investigations from our back catalog will be added to the website in the coming weeks. So that's ajiunit.com. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, and edited by Craig Pennington. 
Leo Safianis does the final sound mix. Hassan Romani does our social media. Joe DeFrias is the show's executive producer. And my co-host for this episode, Phil Reese, is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We'll see you next time. <laughs>